Hi everyone, I'm Bridget MacArthur and welcome to a very special episode of Chronically Chilled on 3CR Community Radio. It is Radiothon Week and we have an incredibly exciting guest on to chat with us about all things disability and sex. But quickly, for those of you who don't know, 3CR has been on air 24-7 since 1976, carried on the backs of several generations of volunteers. My aunt worked at 3CR. I'd love to say my aunt's aunt also worked here, but it doesn't go quite that far back. Um, but safe to say a lot of love and hard work has been poured into the station over the years and its subscribers and our annual radio fund that keep us up and running. So one hour radio costs approximately a hundred bucks, but really every cent counts. So whatever you can give would be so appreciated. Uh, you can donate online at 3cr.org.au forward slash donate on the phone during business hours at 94198377 or drop by the station with your cash or FBOS. Today's guest is disability awareness consultant, disabled porn star, creator of the hashtag Disabled People Are Hot, host of the Disability After Dark podcast, and chief disability officer and co-founder of Bumpin, a sex toy company for and by disabled people. It's Andrew Gerzup. Hey, Andrew, thanks for joining me. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, me too. Um, Andrew and I are sadly chatting remotely today. Um, I am currently dog sitting in a beautiful Maribyrnong house in Victoria, the lands of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Bunurong peoples of the Kulin Nation. And where are you today, Andrew? I am in the city of Toronto, which is the, which includes the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and is now the home to diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people. Excellent. That's our first... Uh overseas guest for this season so very wow cool <laughs> and thanks so much for making the time zones work um oh, the reason pleasure. i was so keen to speak to you um and to go across the seas to get a guest on um was to have an episode on this topic which is disability and sex um i think a lot of people might rate whether a society is disability friendly based on kind of base level services available, building accessibility, stuff like that. And that's clearly all super important, but it's sort of ticking, I don't know, the base levels of Maslow's hierarchy for business folk out there, um, which is, you know, food, shelter, security. Um, but Andrew, you're addressing something that many might not have traditionally thought of when it comes to accessibility priorities, which is sex toys. Um, so can you kind of give us a bit of a look into the thinking behind the inception of Bumpin'? Yeah, Bumpin' started with my sister and I. My sister lives in Sydney, Australia, and I'm here in Toronto. And she had seen a documentary that I was a part of with the National Film Board of Canada probably about five years ago um, called Picture This. I was the star of that film, which sounds really bougie to say, but it's true. I was the subject of that film. And so in the film, I talk about how I couldn't masturbate. And the film was taken down to Sydney, Australia. And she saw it with my mom in a big theater there. And it, she, she called me after and, and said, I never, I never really, we never talked about this stuff because we're brother and sister. Which brother and sister do you know that talks about our masturbatory habits together? So I came to visit her about four months later in Sydney and we were on the beach and she said, well, I saw your film. I never knew you could, you had, you lost the ability to masturbate. Um, why, you know, why don't you just get a sex toy? Why don't you just do that? And I said, well, because of my hands and my the tightness and spasticity of my hands, I can't masturbate, really, and those toys don't work for me. And she was like, well, don't they make toys for somebody with 
hand limitations? And I was like, well, not really. And so then we paused for a minute and she goes, well, did you want to make one? And so <laughs> we both were like, do we, do we want to make a sex toy with our sibling? Who knows? But then we put a call out on Reddit and just asked some questions, like a little survey of, you know, is this something you want? What about sex toys is inaccessible to you? And 100 respondents came back and 92% of the respondents said, we want a toy like this. This is something we're, we're after. So we realized that that percentile actually accounted for hundreds of thousands of people worldwide that probably couldn't sell pleasure. And so it became much bigger than making a toy for Andrew. It became, it became like this world mission we had to put pleasure in reach for disabled folk and chronically ill folk. And then from there, we spoke with Judith Glover, who works at RMIT. We cold emailed her. She's like the leading sex toy researcher in, in Australia. Um, I think possibly in Australia or the world. Really, really world renowned. And we cold emailed her and said, you know, would you work with us? And she was like, oh my goodness, I've been waiting for somebody to to present me this thing and I, I would love to take you on as a client. So we worked with her and a bunch of other OTs and PTs and of course the disability community in and around Australia to um, to to build a toy. And we came up with four concepts, each of them dealing with hand limitations. And the one we landed on was the bump and joystick. So that's kind of, it was a, that's a really kind of truncated version, but it all started from a conversation about Andrew not being able to masturbate. Yeah, a conversation that everyone would love to have with their siblings. <laughs> right, right. It's such a common thing. Yeah, well, maybe I should start the conversation. I mean, I've heard that um, that the toy isn't just, you know, being used among um, disabled folk, that, you know, people without disabilities are actually saying that they prefer it as well. Yeah, it's a toy that we 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 call it disability driven design at Bumpin, which means that it's a toy with disability kind of infused within it. Obviously, disability is a huge part of the market we're targeting, but also we're tar- we're targeting people with injury, arthritis, old age. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it's sort of designing it through a disability lens. Yeah, and that just happens to be kind of inclusive of a lot of other things, I suppose. And I know that it's um, you have a system where it's available for subsidization through the NDIS. Yeah, we have a system where it's available through NDIS. So you email us and say, I think, I, in fact, I think there's a form on our website, getbumpin.com, and if you if you click on the NDIS portion, it, we give you all the forms, I think, and you then input all the stuff and it goes through pretty well we've had i think at this point 10 between 10 and 10 and 15 people applied through ndis and everything's gone swimmingly so we're quite pleased with that and we're quite pleased that we're able to show that this toy is not just a frivolous toy it's actually an access an accessibility feature mm-hmm. and that's why i think it's really cool that it's being subsidized through ndis yeah and sort of raising awareness of ways that you might be able to push the folds more in terms of NDIS coverage from the sex perspective. Yeah. And I know that, I know that the NDIS coverage, you know, has been, they've been pretty stingy on certain things around sexuality over there from what I've heard. Uh, So the fact that we're able to do this and kind of show that it isn't just a toy, it's actually an access need is really cool. 
Yeah, absolutely. And why do you think sex is often seen as a taboo topic when it's discussed in connection to disability or not even taboo? I mean, it's just sort of completely left off the agenda. Oh, wow. Where do I start? Uh, Because we've had hundreds of years of disabled bodies being demonized, disabled bodies being vilified, disabled bodies being seen as uh, dangerous. And so when you mix sexuality, which is also already seen as dangerous, when the two come together, it's like terrifying. People are, are afraid to broach that because of the history, but also because they don't, a lot of people don't see whether they believe, whether they would say this in public or not. They don't see disabled people as human, I think, a lot mm. of the time. And so when you when you start talking about disabled people who they don't really see as as part of their community as having sex, it like blows their mind. They can't deal with it. So I think sex is taboo because of those things, but also because dis- of because of the fact that non-disabled people can't fathom the reality that if they live long enough, they will become disabled themselves. Um, and so I just think that we're afraid to admit to ourselves that if we live long enough, disability will be a part of our story. And that's part of why I think we don't talk about it as well. The perception thing's a really interesting one because, I mean, people aren't necessarily just born ableist. Um, I think representation has a has a huge role to play in that. Um, and I know that you're going to be on people's TV screens soon in the Queer as Folk reboot, which is awesome. Um, so kind of... Uh, making little steps towards representation I mean how important is representation to you and do you remember the first time you saw anyone like you on screen you know a person with a disability let alone maybe a queer person with a disability I mean a queer person with a disability I haven't seen I mean until really really truly my friend Ryan O'Connell who stars with me in Queers Folk until he did special I had never really seen a story like mine on camera and so to see him do that three years ago was like a huge boon for me because of all he's a friend of mine and I admire him and I respect him but in terms of like the larger question what you know what was my first visual of disability on screen honestly I can't remember but I, I do remember that whatever it was it was surely something like oh Johnny can't walk and it's so tragic look at that like something like really like you know from 30 years ago that was really like oh wow you're in a wheelchair it's so hard to deal with that um but mm-hmm. I remember seeing disability and I'm a huge nerd so I remember seeing disability portrayed in like Star Trek Deep Space Nine when I was like 10 and seeing a character in a wheelchair and being like oh, that's me and I would get so excited when I would see characters even if the story was tragic when I would see characters in, in wheelchairs because I'd be like oh, that's me so when I got to do mm-hmm. Queer as Folk and I got to be a hot character in like at in one of the most important queer reboots like in a while. I I was so chuffed because I was like, some 15-year-old kid is gonna see me on the TV screen and go, wow, that's me. Like, how cool is that? And so I'm I'm so so proud of how I can further show that like disability, queerness, and sexuality deserves to be on our screen. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, surely there's just such a market out there for people like you who want to see, I mean, one fifth of Australians have a disability. 
and that's a huge market if you put people like them on TV, people like us. Yeah. And you were able to see that. I mean, you'd go to the cinema. So instead, but instead they're putting uh, up perfect people and no one relates to them. I mean, it, it's pretty, you said, it, you know, one fifth of Australia has a disability. I bet that because a lot of people live with invisible disabilities and don't report, it's probably a lot higher. Mm. Yeah, and also right. like maybe shame around it, classing things as disabilities. I've had discussions with people with invisibilities, disabilities who don't call themselves disabled for that yeah, reason. Yeah, there's, <laughs> I mean, there's a ton of shame around it. And it's a shame because like disability is something we should we should celebrate and we should revere. It's such an important part of our human experience and such an important part of our community that like the fact that people feel ashamed about it and on my on my on my podcast disability after dark people always say to me like well i don't know if i'm allowed to take up the label of disability of disabled and i always say why tell me why and they go well because you know the you know there are people with with worse things than that i'm like well, well why is it worse why can't it just be what it is so i think shame has a and shame and all that stuff has a lot to do with it yeah. How does that shame come into your sex life, I guess? I mean, even uh, if we were to increase the conversation around um, disability and sex, I'm sure that there's sort of a lot of, I mean, I know there's a lot of internalised ableism um, as well as sort of maybe what's coming from your partner. It's, it can be so hard to get out of your head. I mean, yeah, it is really hard to get out of your head, especially and the majority of people that I sleep with are non-disabled so I'm always like well you know I can't do the things that other non-disabled people can do to you like do you see me as like somebody worthy of of messing around with do you see me as a a sexual partner and there's a lot of shame and I also live with invisible disabilities on top of my cerebral palsy so I have IBS and other like fun gut chronic stuff that's fun so I (laughs) so I have a lot of shame about my um my performance in the bedroom. I have a lot of shame because I can't do certain sexual acts as a disabled person because of my disabilities. So there's a little, I have a lot of internalized shame, but then the the external ableism of like, you never see disabled people having sex and you never see them enjoying themselves. And so all of it is really intertwined. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. You wouldn't have that if it wasn't for the external factors. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even just on a physical level, it can be difficult when you have a disability, your body doesn't necessarily respond in the way that you want it to. I mean, for me, oh, yeah. I have, it, a, as a small example, I have cataplexy as part of my narcolepsy, which means when I experience strong emotions or sensations, I lose muscle tone. So during sex, I often get to the precipice <laughs> of an orgasm and then my body will shut down, which can be you know, oh, frustrating. Fun and scary you know depending on the situation mainly frustrating yeah. a lot of the time um but that's just you know one example of such a wide range of different obstacles and ob- not even obstacles but different ways that people are having sex and just none of that is covered in in sex education for example yeah. and we don't really have any framework for educating around i mean when you aggregate it kind of the dominant type of sex which is sort of like really diverse and weird and maybe awkward but funny kinds of sex what's the importance of kind of educating both disabled and non-disabled people and how are you seeing that um like in the schooling system for example 
No, I wish I, was in the, <laughs> I wish I was seeing it in the school system. I mean, yeah. to, to go back to what's the importance of education is that all of us will be disabled, right? At some point. So why aren't we educating exactly. the non-disabled kids now so that in mm. 30, 40, 5, 10 years, when they encounter disability, not only in their own bodies, but they could be out at a club when they're 20 and they could run into the hottest disabled person in a wheelchair they've ever met in their whole lives. And they might want to have a sexual relationship with them and they might have no framework for that. But if we teach them from, you know, 10, 12, 13, that disabled bodies exist and disabled sexuality exists and disabled sexual health exists, then when, when it gets to that point where they run into that sexy disabled person, they won't be like, uh, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to, how to do this. I'm scared of you. I'm going to run away. They'll have some mm. sort of framework. And I think that's why it's important because one, they will become disabled themselves. Two, they could fall in love with a disabled person and need an education that way. And that's why it's important. On the, the topic of educating um, non-disabled people or kind of getting them into the conversation, I know that Bumpin has a campaign at the moment or it's coming up um, where you're encouraging non-disabled people to fund an orgasm. Yeah, we're doing it right now. It's called the Fund an Orgasm. And so for so every dollar you you put towards our toy goes to goes to manufacturing, goes to making the toy possible, goes to making sure that toys like ours um, get into the hands of disabled people who want them, who want to access self-pleasure this way and are able to access it. So because a lot of disabled people don't have a lot of money and are on social assistance or on some sort of benefits and, you know, it isn't easy for them to uh, to always, to go and, and purchase a toy like this. We're asking for non-disabled people to step up and think about, non-disabled people always say stuff like, oh, I want to do something good for the community. I want to always give back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is a great way to do that. Fund an orgasm means you can give an orgasm and give sexual pleasure and give sexual independence to disabled people. So one toy costs 250 US dollars. Um, and so we're not asking you to, to drop 250 US dollars, but to go on our website and consider like 25 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. Maybe if you're feeling flushed right now, 250 would be great, but helping us to to get the toy in the hands of disabled people because it is such a small run. And in order for us to keep this dream of making sex toys accessible for disabled people alive, we need your help. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so important. Um, I'm speaking to Andrew Gerza uh, for a special episode of Chronically Chilled on 3CR today. Um, and we're talking about disability and sex. And we are almost at the end of our allotment, but I kind of want to hear from you. How do you keep, how do you keep it hot in the bedroom when I guess part of disability naturally is having to be quite clinical and direct? And, you know, you've got maybe a checklist of things that you might have to let your partner know at some point in the interaction. How do you keep that hot? I think I think you make jokes. For me, humor is a big one. So I'm, I laugh with my partners. I make I, I call myself, you know, a big dick crip. I make fun. I mean, I play with the fact that I'm very disabled. I, I call myself a bear in a chair. I make it. I make my disability a joke because that way, because disability is so clinical. If I make a joke about it then they will laugh with me and then it eases that it breaks that ice a little bit. I also have 
you know, a, 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 tat, a tattoo on my chest that says queer cripple. So if they're going to get with me, they have to, they have to recognize that I'm proudly disabled and this is who I am. I also have an image of a leather man in a power wheelchair on my chest. So very clearly, if they're going to sleep with me, they're going to know that I have disabilities and I'm going to play with it. So I use humor to get around that. And I also allow them to ask me questions because I think we've been taught not to ask, not to offend disabled people. And as a result, we're not having like deep conversations. We're having like, oh no, I can't touch that. I'm too scared. Whereas mm. like, if I let you ask me questions that maybe push up into the line of ableism and maybe are uncomfortable even for me, at least that's an honest conversation. At least mm. they're not, they, they know it's safe with me to ask those things. So I, I always allow them a chance to, to ask questions that are aching and uncomfortable because if we're going to have sex, we're going to be really close to each other. And if you're uncomfortable, I don't want you to be uncomfortable when we have sex. I want you to feel okay with that. So if I'm with a non-disabled partner, I let them ask questions and then I make a joke and then I let them ask some more and then I make another joke. I, I really keep it light and fun and, and honest. And then that makes for me, that makes the sex more, more fun. Yeah, absolutely. And can I ask, when can we expect to see you on the Queer as Folk reboot? The Queer as Folk reboot drops on June 9th. So, mm-hmm. well, June 9th in the U.S., I'm not sure when in Australia, but in the U.S., June oh, yeah, 9th. Probably so probably six months later. <laughs> hopefully, fingers crossed, hopefully it'll be a couple weeks later, hopefully. But if you, if you have some access to U.S. TV on June 9th on Peacock. Yeah, brilliant. And is it the, the start of your of a long, illustrious acting career? Um, probably not. I like what I do as a, as a disability consultant, but I'm always open to have more roles. I always want to do more stuff like that. It was really fun. It was really cool to be on set with like people who were famous. And then there was me being like, hey, I'm here. So that was really cool. Um, I would love to do more acting to make sure that queer representation on screen is honest. Who would be your dream co-star? Uh, let me think. My in a romance. Co-star. Oh, in a romance. Um, mm-hmm. That's a good one. Uh, you know, the guy who played Billy in Stranger Things, I'm watching season four <laughs> right now. And, and I, think it, I think his name is Dacre Montgomery, and he's from uh-huh. he's Australian. So I would, I would just, just for fun, I would love to do a scene with him. It would be great. Brilliant. Well, yeah, more than happy for you to uh, go out alongside an Australian, maybe if that means it could bring you over here more. Although I suppose your sister's up in Sydney. I mean, I would, I would love that. I would love, um, and I would love to, to once, once it feels safer to fly again, and once you know the world settles down a little bit more, we, I'd love to come back to Australia. It's great there. I've, I've, I was in Melbourne once for the Accessibility Festival a couple of years ago. Um, it was great. Yeah, wonderful. Well, maybe when you come down, you can be on the show in person. I would love it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Andrew, for talking to us. Um, and, yeah, for everyone listening, it's for our Radiothon. Um, so if you can donate um, anything, would be much appreciated. It really uh, does help us keep the, keep the radio show running. Um, or if you can just help us out by spreading the word, um, again, you can donate at 3cr.org.au 
forward slash donate um, or drop into the station or you can call during business hours at 94198377. Um, and also while you're in a giving mood, maybe um, hop over to Bumpin, which is B-U-M-P uh, apostrophe N uh, and find an orgasm. Thanks, Andrew. And that's, and that's at uh, getbumpin.com www.getbumpn.com and you can donate there. You've been listening to a special episode of Chronically Chilled with me, Bridget MacArthur, and Bumpin' co-founder, Andrew Gerza. If you want to buy a toy or fund an orgasm, you can go to getbumpin.com, which is G-E-T-B-U-M-P-N.com. You can listen to Andrew's podcast, Disability After Dark, wherever you podcast, and I seriously recommend following him on socials, which is Andrew Gerza one on Twitter and Instagram. If you've enjoyed today's show, please donate at 3cr.org.au forward slash donate to help us keep the lights on. Or if you can't, that's okay. Help us out by spreading the word. You can find us on Instagram at chronically.chilled and on Twitter at chilled underscore 3CR. Thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of the Radiothon. Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon and help keep communities strong. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2022. To donate, call 03-9419-8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2022. Keep communities strong.